Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to another week of Large Almond Latte and hello and welcome if this is your very first time listening. Hopefully for everyone, your work year is really starting to wind down and your party season is winding up. Mine definitely is and this week I visited the hairdresser for the second time this year and unfortunately... This is not like the dentist, where a visit every six months is a really good thing. As a blonde, it is blasphemy. But I've been in lockdown, and I literally could not get in with my hairdresser until this week. Also, I kind of thought that I had some, like, balayage thing going on naturally. Like, my blonde regrowth was so far gone. I thought I had, you know, little blonde bits on the end and people pay for that look. So maybe I was getting away with it. But (laughs) then I had my before photo at the hairdresser. And the hairdresser before shot It's got the most Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, magic trickery shit you'll ever see because you can leave the house thinking your hair looks okay, but then they take that before shot and you wonder why people haven't thrown a dollar coin at you on the street because your hair looks homeless. In my before shot, it was very clear that I did not have any sort of nice balayage going on. I had this straight line across the middle of my hair and above the line was brown, like an absolute nothing mousy color. And below that, well, I wouldn't even call it blonde. I would call it the color of a rusty saxophone. It was gross. Luckily, my hairdresser is a better miracle worker than old mate Jesus turning water into wine. And I now have this luscious, creamy blonde ready for the Christmas season. Today on the podcast, I am fangirling so hard. I sat down with the co-host of Chart Topping Podcast, My Millennial Money, Glenn James, to chat all things millennial finance. When Glenn's not being Australia's millennial money expert, he likes shopping at Country Road and staying in nice hotels, which makes him a very on-brand guest for this podcast, which you'll soon see. This episode was actually so big that I've split it in two. Part one is all about first home buying, the idiot's guide as per your recommendation, your words, not mine. And part two, which I'll drop Friday, is more of general finance chats. If you have bought a home, I still think you'll get a lot of value out of this episode because I bought one and I certainly did. Just a reminder that part two of this episode will also be our very last episode of the year. 
So make sure you screenshot wherever you're listening, tag us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte, and let us know in the Apple reviews what you want us to cover next year. You can also follow us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte Media and join our Facebook group, Large Almond Latte, for more bands throughout the summer. And thank you so much, fans, for taking the time to listen to this podcast every week and being the best fans a humble podcast host could ever ask for. Hi, Glenn. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to check your credibility. Now, I know you're not a financial advisor anymore. You're just a man on the internet. But what is your background? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm pumped to be on this podcast. My background, it's a wild one. I, do you want the long story or the short story? I'll give you the short story. I left school. I did a trade. I didn't like the trade. I went and studied financial planning at a private college. Then joined a financial advising firm, worked my way up, became an associate advisor, then realized I didn't want to commute anymore. So I started my own business where I live, did that for about 10 years. And two years ago-ish, I started a podcast called My Millennial Money. And I'm now basically doing that full time. So I threw in my financial advisor license and now I'm just a guy on the internet having a chat. So we have a Facebook group for our podcast and we asked our listeners what they wanted to ask you. And we got a lot of questions around first home buying, specifically a request for the idiot's guide to buying a first home. And I feel like Mm. before you buy first home, it's so overwhelming. So you do need a bit of the 101. If you are listening and you have purchased a home, congratulations, you're rich. But I still think there'll be some really handy tips in here. So it is worth listening. First of all, what is a first homeowner's grant and what does it get you? Well, that's a wild question because uh, in a purest form, uh, government of, and basically coming out of COVID, almost all levels, so I'm talking federal, state, and some local area governments uh, have grants. And basically a grant is uh, a gift from the government. uh, And what they've done is they've said, we want to stimulate the either the construction industry or uh, get money moving in the economy. So we want to give people some money to do that. And uh, part of one of those grants is a first homeowners grant. And it's hard for me to say uh, basically exactly what that entails because you might be listening in Perth and you might have a different state-based grant than someone in Victoria or Queensland, uh, but. A common one at the moment uh, in a lot of states is actually a cash grant from state-based governments that they give to first home buyers uh, if they buy a new property because that what they do is they say, well, you're buying a first home, uh, we want you to have a look at a brand new property and if you buy a brand new property, we'll, we might give you 10 or 15 grand cash and that will help stimulate the building and the construction economy. So that's basically how the grants work. So you really need to have a look. And if you like, I think we've got a website link that I can give to you uh, to put in your show notes that has a bit of a a summary of all the grants that are going on at the moment. Yeah, that would be great. So if we mention any links, we'll just put them all in the show notes at the end of the episode because I think I even found when I was, because I'm in your My Millennial Money group, and I even found that everyone has different advice because it's based on different states. 
and it keeps changing, but definitely worth looking into because I guess that brings me to my next question. A lot of the disclaimer is that you have to live in them for a year. So when you get the first homeowner's grant, so in your opinion, do you think it's even worth getting that first homeowner's grant or would you buy an investment property, say, in a high growth area out in Whoop Whoop and rent where you want to live? Yeah, it's it, again, it's it's hard to make uh, grand gestures and broad statements, and I love doing that. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's just so easy to lump everyone in the one basket. Look, honest, okay, I have to. Yeah. I think I need to give you the background for that question. Sure. My one of my listeners lives in Elwood, which we were talking about before. She loves living there, but her partner wants to buy an investment property out in the middle of nowhere and then stay and rent in their tiny apartment. And she basically said, can you ask him if that would be beneficial or if we should just move out a few suburbs and buy a house where we can live in and sort of have to sacrifice a little bit, but not be paying rent? Yeah. So, okay. That's a good one. And what about I answer that with a case study of a good friend of mine who actually lives in Melbourne? And Perfect. Yeah. So, a case study is uh, my friend Nathan and his partner Callum. Uh, hey, guys, if you're listening, I know they're huge fans of your podcast. Um, oh, my God. Well, that would take my listenership to five instead of three. So, that's great so, news. <laughs> yeah. So, Cal and Nathan, they're professionals. Uh, Callum works for an insurance company in town. Nathan works for the Australian Ballet. Uh, and I'm only sharing this because they were interviewed. I got them an interview with the AFR to do a bit of a case study. Uh, and they were kind of in the same position. They love living in town, uh, but they wanted to buy something. They wanted to invest. They wanted to start their wealth creation plan or whatever that looks like. And at the moment, because the government's basically throwing money out everywhere, they were like, how can we maximize these grants? So what they decided is they looked, They went through uh, my business partner, uh, John Pigeon's uh, Envisage property, and he basically, again, we'll put a link in, he's the property guy, so you know they, he can help. But basically, about an hour out of Melbourne, they purchased a brand new block of land and a house, so a house and land package, uh, which allowed them to get, uh, I think, a state-based grant of $10,000. I'm just making these numbers up. Uh, because I don't know this, all the state-based grants off by heart. Uh, they got a state-based first home buyer's new grant. They got a state-based regional grant. They got the government, the federal government 25K grant because they signed before the end of December in 2020 and they'll start construction within three months. And basically, they almost got $50,000 worth of state and government grants. But the trade-off is... They have to move out of town and live in the property for that period, and that can vary each state. Some is like you've got to live in at least uh, six months within the first 12 months and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. But they're basically, they've decided it's an hour out of Melbourne. Uh, they'll sacrifice living out there and commuting into town uh, to get 50 grand from the government in after tax dollars. And then after that 12 months, the property they uh, built and purchased, it's in an up-and-coming uh, little regional suburb hub on a train line an hour out of Melbourne, and then they can say, well, we want to move back to town, so we'll move back to town or Elwood or whatever, rent in town, and then use that property as an investment property and get the tax benefits of depreciation and whatnot, 
and then basically rent best. So this is the trade-off. It's like, yeah, sure, if you want to maximize the government grants, there might need to be a sacrifice like Cal and Nathan are doing. Or uh, it might be, hey, we're going to buy somewhere in town and not get the grants and have to spend more money. Uh, it could be we're going to forego the grants, rent vest in Elwood and buy something in uh, Queensland as an investment property in an up-and-coming suburb. But the potential growth factor doesn't really matter because we think getting in there, the growth over the next couple of years will outdo that government grant that we would get by getting free money. So all that to say is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And just because the government is giving you money, it doesn't mean you need to have the government grant tail wagging the I want to buy a house dog. And I probably butchered that analogy. But no, it's definitely <laughs> made sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it's definitely <laughs> butchered. Uh, and all this to say is like uh, John, my business partner, he does what they call a clarity call. And for listeners of the podcast, you know, you've listened to My Millennial Money, you're in the group. He basically is a third party that you can have a chat with to bounce your strategy off him. Because what happens in our own life, whether it's buying a home, uh, investing, all this stuff, starting a business, starting a podcast, whatever you want to do, you end up in your own echo chamber in your head and you need to get out of your echo chamber. You need to get it onto paper. You need to get it. Some third party go, am I an idiot thinking this? And they go, yes, you are. You're like, awesome. Thank you. Just needed that clarity. Or is this wild to do this? Or am I going out on a limb? And they go, no, no, that sounds awesome. And I can see how that would work. So I think there's power in um, paying to have someone in your world bounce to bounce your situation off because this is the wild thing. People will go into debt overnight, get a mortgage, buy a $500,000 property, two hours out of a freaking town. They've done no research. They think it's a good place because they just think it's a good space uh, when they could have paid a couple hundred dollars, which is bugger all percent of the purchase price and actually get some proper advice before they pull the trigger. So what if you can't even come up with the strategy yourself. What if that is just not your, not, that is not down your street? So who is the person that you can give all your finances to and say, this is the lifestyle I like, this is the money I have, this is my five-year plan or no plan at all. And they say, yeah, I think it'd be really good for you to buy here, invest there. Is that a property advisor? Like who yeah, is that well, person? It's a bit of a blend because, um, you can go to a financial advisor and they'll talk about your goals and they'll help you develop type of strategies, but a lot of financial advisors won't necessarily touch on the property side. And the reason why is a, a property isn't a financial product. So some financial advisors aren't licensed to talk about property. Um, a financial advisor, they are licensed to make recommendations based on your goals, your needs, your objectives. Uh, to financial products. And that could be an investment account, it could be shares, it could be super, it could be life insurance. So they're licensed to give advice on specific products where property isn't a financial product. So my business partner, John Pigeon and co-host of My Millennial Money, he's actually a property coach and his clarity call that he does, and he's got different programs, you can actually pay him, give him some of your goals around property and talk it out and help develop a property because that's kind of John's bag. And I would really implore you to, if you are listening and you want to go down this uh, 
first property, be it a place to live or if you want a rent vest. So definitely invest the time and the money learning about it. And you want to be educated enough to make your own decision. And that might mean that you need to pay someone like John to bounce your ideas off because if, you know, your uncle or your parents, they might have preconceived ideas about you and think what's best for you when actually you just want a third party who wants to go, yeah, that makes sense. Go for it. Go get them, Tiger, uh, without any preconceived crap in their mind. Like your parent is not an expert in buying property just because they bought their house when they were 25. And in hindsight, I think that's something I probably would do in a heartbeat. And I'll probably do it for my next my next house because there'll definitely be a next house soon. But it's so worth it for the amount. Like if you're planning on keeping your property for 30 years, the amount in which the property you choose will appreciate compared to something that you hadn't put thought and that effort into and a few hundred dollars, like I think it is 100% worth the investment if, you know, if you're not sure exactly where you want to buy and what you want to do next. And this is wild, like uh, call me entitled, call me rich, whatever, call me whatever you want, but I've purchased shoes worth five $600, right? And I know yeah. a lot of you listening have. Why yeah, I'm on board spend- with that. Yeah, why won't you spend that amount of freaking money when it's a big life decision of $500,000 or more? Like it just it blows my mind. Because <laughs> it's not something you can touch, I think is the answer, but I also agree with you. Like yeah. it makes so much sense. Okay, so you've seen your financial advisor uh, or your property coach. You know what you want to do. What do you do next? How do you know how much you can spend? Do you go to a mortgage broker? Do you go to a bank? Yeah, so I would always encourage a mortgage broker. So basically, a mortgage broker has a panel of banks and lenders, and they can basically look at your situation and say, hey, you can borrow X amount, um, and we believe one of these three banks might be best for you. They might say, look, this bank has this feature, this lender has that feature. Uh, And then you say, what about this bank I saw advertised online for a cheap interest rate? They say, well, I haven't used them on the comparison because you don't have any money and we need to go with this bank over here because they don't, they take a more risk than that one online. Yeah, so- great question, but that's not applicable to you. They're obviously totally. advertising their very best rate for the very richest of people. Totally. So that's why, so a mortgage broker, it's also better to go to a mortgage broker and if you don't have a mortgage broker and you want a recommendation, just let me know. Um there's a link on my website. I've got a panel of advisors and mortgage brokers all over Australia that we can help. But the good thing about a mortgage broker is, I'll give you an example. You walk into the branch at your local shopping center and say, hi, branch person, uh, I want a mortgage. And then at the teller, they say, okay, go over to that uh, booth over there. That's our mortgage specialist. Teller probably gets a bit of a pat on the back for referring you over to the Specialist, that's all good. Uh, but then the specialist goes, all right, let's let's uh, let's get you a loan, blah, blah, blah. I'm being over the top, paraphrasing and all that, but whatever. Look at the principle in this discussion. and then I get say, it. Yep. Like I'm picturing it in my head. That's yeah. exactly what would say, happen. Yeah, sit down. Um, yeah, let's apply for that. They put an application in. They sweep your credit report. There's an inquiry on your credit that uh, the bank down the road at the shopping center has done it. And they go, oh, no, we can't give you the loan. Uh, because there's a ding on your credit, you didn't pay a phone bill three years ago, you don't fit into our criteria, 
where a mortgage broker will be able to ask you these questions and have a look, bit of a look at your history. And they'll say, look, categorically, we can't put an application in with that lender there because you will get declined. And we don't want that to be a ding on your credit. So the yeah. reason why you go to a broker, they can look at your situation and kind of say, look, you're self-employed, three, less than three years, you've got to go to this lender. Don't even worry about that one. Forget it. They're not going to look after you. And they will do the dirty work for you. The bank or the lender will pay them a commission for doing that, but it's not a more expensive interest rate than if you went direct to that bank or lender. So that's why yeah. I use a mortgage broker because they do it all for me and the bank just pays them anyway and it's not more expensive for me. It's actually a no-brainer in my mind. Yeah, I in my experience of buying one house, I agree. That's exactly what happened to me. My mortgage broker was like, I, I see you have an afterpay account there and I – had like one purchase on it. It wasn't even wild. And he was like, you're going to need to close that and have proof that you've closed that. So he saved me all the trouble of going to the banks, but also like you just get the best comparison rates because he's not working for one of them. So totally, totally. So definitely yeah, seems I'm, like I'm a option. big fan of a mortgage broker. And if you are into this um, new home, just want to know, I think it's important to clean up your personal finances first. And so if you're in a buttload of debt, that's important because if you've got a $10,000 personal loan owing or a $10,000 credit card that's owing, uh, in mortgage and bank land, $10,000 could be up to $40,000 of borrowing power. So it's $40,000 less that you can borrow if you've got a $10,000 personal loan. But that's why it's so important to really make sure you're personal finances are healthy and in check before you even think about getting more debt or whatever. Yes. And you've got to pay off that mortgage. So you do not want that debt. So, okay. Now we've got our pre-approval, which is what mm. the bank gives you first. And we're ready to go. What tips do you have when you start looking for the house or your apartment or your land? Are there any major watchouts that you see people get caught up with time and time again? You've got to far out. There's so many things. Um, <laughs> listen to a podcast called My Millennial Properties. John and Emily, <laughs> like they just like every episode's about property, and you know they've just done an episode recently about um, how to negotiate with the real estate agent or things to look out for when buying a home. I I'm kind of weird and different. I can only speak from my own experience. I think you really first you know work out. Yeah, I've got X amount to spend. I think you first need to work out what do you want. So it's like, okay, we want to live near or close to the beach. Okay, we can't buy a 1,600-square-metre 1600, 1600 old estate that's $4 million. Like, it's not happening. But we probably can look at a two-bedroom townhouse. We can look at a three-bedroom unit. So I think once you kind of nail out how much you can borrow, and you'd probably be doing this all at the same time, Work out what you're looking for. So it's like, okay, we want a townhouse. We want a unit. We want a freehold property, which is its own house on a block. We want a duplex, whatever you want, and just drill down on what you want. So then when you're going out shopping, you're not going, all right, we're going to go to this unit, then we're going to that townhouse, then we're going to go to that house, because there's just like three different styles or four different styles of property. You might do it for your own research, but I'd really say drill down on what you're after. And then what you're after, just keep looking at lots of what you're after and that will soon be apparent that 
oh, okay, this one, I think it feels overvalued because the kitchen's a piece of crap. The location's <laughs> not good. And they want the same place as that one on the other street. So once you nailed what you want, you'll have a, a better idea of what's valuable, what's well-priced, what isn't. Um, and then, yeah, you can just do whatever you want. Like just I always tell people like the things that crap you to tears in your current rental property that you're living, like if the um, you hear the, you know, next to the bedroom, the, <laughs> the neighbor the neighboring property showers there and you hear someone who can't sing every morning singing in the shower, you might go, oh, I'm just going to look at the master bedroom to see if there's a shower next door that I can hear because that just really annoyed me. So pick your bugbear, check that out. Obviously get a pest and building report. So if if things are getting close and you put down a deposit and um, you start to get serious, you would send out for a building inspection uh, to make sure that, you know, that's not going to collapse the next night because of white ants. Uh, so I, I think it's just there's so many things, uh, but definitely listen to My Millennial Property, the podcast, because John and Emily just cover it all. It is a lot. Like it takes a while to buy your first house and there is so much you need to know as much mm. as you can get all the advice you want to be informed. But is someone like John, does he come along for the ride as well? So if you're looking at properties, would he be able to go, yeah, I think that would suit you or no, like they're about to build a shopping centre next door Yeah, or is he more? Sure, he can, but those type of um, like your conveyancer would be doing those kind of title reports. It's like, oh, no, it's scheduled to have a freaking airport runway there next week, so don't buy that. Like um, the conveyancer should be able to pick up any of those big council things. But I will say just as a practical thing, People in your life that you know who have purchased a home within the last couple of years, give them a call and say, hey, you bought your first home last year. Can you just tell me three things that to watch out for that you had trouble with and three things that you didn't? Ask a few people the goods and the bads, the watch outs for and the check this and check that. You'll be able to create your own list of different things that you need to watch out for. Join your Facebook group, My Millennial Money, because I found really good advice there because there are a lot of people also buying their first homes. And, you know, one thing I had a really big issue with is car parks because I got stuck in a car park lift while I was renting. I don't know how I ended up buying a place that still had a shitty car park, but that was something I asked a lot about as well. Um, And lenders, mortgage insurance, and all these little things that pop up, I found your Facebook group really helpful because, I mean, it's free advice, but they're also going through the same thing as you. Totally. And it's just learning a heap of little one percenters from as many different people as possible. Yeah, I just think ask people who have done it before, ask My Millennial Money Facebook group, just be like, hey, what things did you wish you knew before you pull the trigger on your first home. One more question about property and then we'll move yes, on. Yes. 2020, is it a good time to buy or should you hold until next year? Well, well, there's that, only a few weeks left. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> most people won't be buying if they <laughs> this year. But <laughs> they haven't already. As a, as a motherhood statement, uh, the media always talks about the property market and the property market's doing this and the property market's doing that. There are thousands of property markets in Australia. So I'll give you an example. Melbourne. Okay, we can go Victoria is a property market in itself. Uh, inner city, Melbourne's a property market. Elwood's a property market. Within Elwood, you've got units, you've got townhouses, you've got freehold property. So there's, there can be three sub-markets within a market. So 
I don't think there's this broad brushstroke of the property market's going bangers or the property market's tanked. Sure, there will be some aggregate national data, but it goes back to what type of property you want, where do you want it, does it suit your circumstance? I personally in my life, the time for me to buy is when I've got the money and I'm ready to buy. And then I'll just do my research uh, with the view that I'm not selling anytime soon. So if I did accidentally pay 20 grand more for a property uh, in 30 years, who cares? I think that's the thing. You're going to be keeping this property for a while. It's inconsequential, really. And you just need to know, like, you can look at um, a thing to look out for is, I think SQM Research has a website. I think it's that. And you can look at vacancy rates and that will give you it in that postcode. The vacancy rates is how much of a percentage of the time that the property is vacant. Uh, if it's a high vacancy rate, that means there's not much action there uh, because there's no one renting, like there's heaps of empty properties. But if it's a low vacancy rate, it means there's a lots of demand. Supply and demand. Yeah. Totally. That concludes part one of my interview with Glenn. Make sure you listen to part two, which will be our final episode of the year. That's dropping on Friday and focuses on more of a general financial discussion. But I promise it's not boring at all, just like this episode wasn't. Make sure you check out the podcast, My Millennial Money. You can also join the Facebook group, follow them on Instagram, and all the links that Glenn's mentioned, I'll pop in the show notes at largearmandlatte.com. Thanks for listening to Large Almond Latte. If you loved the podcast, which we assume you do if you got this far, a five-star rating and review would really mean a lot to us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte Media for more lols and recommendations, also because we put a lot of work into it. To join the weekly podcast conversation, join us in the Facebook group at Large Almond Latte. Don't worry, we're not spammy at all. And for even more low involvement entertainment, head to largearmandlatte.com. There you'll find the show notes, but also heaps of articles to get your peepers around. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 